Hi, and welcome to the When Women Fly podcast. Each episode, I have poignant conversations with women who fly, run, surf, ski, climb, or otherwise soar, and possess a passion for life that is infectious. These are honest and insightful conversations about dreams and reinvention, often in the face of uncertainty, doubt, or other impediments. We talk about busting paradigms, grit, working hard, and playing hard, all while building a community around the empowering metaphor of flight. I am your host, Sylvia Winter, a pilot, runner, mother, skier, list maker, and apparently podcaster. I believe that when we share our stories, own our fears, and dismantle our perceived limitations, the possibilities are boundless. Whether you're pursuing your passion or simply love the idea of possibility and wonder, this podcast is for you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get started. This month of March is Women's History Month, and we are leaning into stories of community to celebrate. I talk to women who are deeply involved in creating, nurturing, and growing communities. I am grateful and inspired by all the remarkable women that I get to connect with and interview. They are shaping a new narrative daily, and they show us anything is possible with tenacity, creativity, and purpose. In today's episode, I talk to Megan Davis, an aviatrix and U.S. Air Force chaplain. After almost 10 years of working the flight line as an aircraft electrical and environmental systems specialist, she transitioned to a completely different path in her Air Force career. With a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in divinity under her belt, she commissioned as an Air Force chaplain. And as we explore the question, what makes a successful movement and a viable community? In honor of Women's History Month, I believe we reveal the existence of a very special kind of joy. In this episode, we contemplate the power of faith, flight, and community in cultivating agency and optimism amongst women and all humans. We talk about building community and turning a convincing idea, a motion, into a movement. Because not only is Megan a chaplain and flies planes, but she took the great 2020 pandemic agitation as an opportunity to channel her presence and availability to found a wildly popular community called Women Rock Wings. We talk about awakened passions, mentors, backgrounds, paternal role models, family, and maintaining a strong sense of self in spite of being a minority as a Black woman in her many roles around aviation and chaplaincy. We traverse a multitude of emotions in this conversation, so be ready to be amazed, moved, surprised, impressed, and simply heartened by the warmth that is Megan. As she says, no matter where you are, where you come from, or where you're going, women rock wings because we were born to soar. Enjoy this conversation with Megan Davis. Megan, I am so thrilled to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to see you. Megan, you and I first crossed paths earlier this year, I guess, or maybe it was the end of um, 2020, uh, when we were both involved in a panel for a musical that was highlighting Harriet Quimby, who was the first female pilot, amongst other things. And 
I was moderating this panel and you were on representing aviation now and in the future. And so in the lens that I first got to know you, you were, I saw you as an influencer. And then when I got to know you more, I just learned these many layers of you and your life. And I felt there is a story here. So I am just incredibly honored and delighted to have you on and your story, your moxie, your determination, and what you are doing is really beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to sharing it. You just made me blush and all the feel goods. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. One of the first things I think I said when I heard your voice and I came across your podcast before we even met, it's like, oh my gosh, I love her voice. It's so relaxing. And I I love your energy. And definitely meeting on Aviatrix's panel officially was awesome. And it was a privilege to, to be a part of it, especially because I'm just getting, I'm not just getting into the field of aviation per se, but definitely as a pilot, I am. So just to be amongst people like you, of course, because you're a pilot as well. And just all the other people that have come before me that have allowed this space to even exist. So I'm just grateful to be here. Mm, it's neat. It's neat to be part of a community and also to be building it, which we'll we'll talk more about. Let's talk first, though, about your childhood, because I feel like there are influences that have come up and continue to come up in different forms in your adult life. So what did your childhood hood look up like? Oh, man. So I actually had a really fun childhood, to be honest. Uh, I know, uh, especially where I'm from, I'm, I'm from East New York, Brooklyn. So there's only one way to say Brooklyn. I'm from East, specifically in East New York, though. Where I grew up statistically didn't have the best outlook, especially in the 90s. It was very, everyone, you know, just had, had this assumption when they hear about where I grew up they think, oh my gosh, the horror, you know, uh, statistics, all those, all those things that make up where, where I am from. And I'm grateful where I'm from. And I'm not saying everything was the easiest, but I had amazing parents. My mom and my grandmother raised me and my grandmother, well, my mom's side of family's from South Carolina. So I have very, very deep, deep Southern roots. And my father's side of family's from Barbados. So I have that mixed heritage which I've been learning more about as I've grown up, which is amazing because a lot of Bayesians actually migrated to South Carolina over the course of history, you know, influencing Gichella culture. And so all of that is bred into me. And I, I, I was raised by women who I like to say loved me, but bred me in tough love, uh, perseverance and faith. And, and I did not lack for anything uh, growing up as far as food, shelter, experience. And I loved my community. Uh, That was very, very important to us. I grew up on a block where we knew each other. My mother, my friends, like our parents knew each other. They grew up together. So if someone saw you doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, they could yoke you up and say, hey, I'm going to tell your mom. And after they've already yoked you up, then you got to deal with your mama too. So we, I had a real community growing up and we, there were definitely things that weren't the easiest that I did experience as far as the community and where I grew up was concerned. However, it taught me a lot. It made you want to explore. It made you 
make something out of nothing. It's just so many things that I've learned inexplicably so, like with without thinking about it. And just even with my mom and my grandmother, my grandmother was such a trailblazer, I would think in her own because she grew up in the South in the 30s. And then she, you know, came to New York and decided that she was just going to do all these different things with her and my granddad. And she was a mother of 20 children. And when I found out, I'm like, grandmother, gosh, we know what you were doing. So you can't even ask that question. But but I mean, only nine made it to adulthood. But as you know, healthcare was just different back then, mainly uh, stillbirths, mainly, you know, like right after they were born. So, but nine, uh, to include my mom, made it to adulthood. And, and then also my uncle, he was very, very, very influential in my life as a junior. He was a Vietnam War veteran and he taught me, in his words, this may not be the most politically correct way to say it, but he told me never be a punk. He would call me sunshine because I love to laugh, as you know, and smile. And he would always tell me, he said, unfortunately, there are people who would look at that as something to take advantage of, except to see it as something that's beautiful. So he said, you know, never let people walk over you. And so that's what he taught me. And my grandmother really taught me what faith looked like. And my mom was vibrant and and bold. And so I would think those are the three things that comprise my childhood and my personality right now the most. Yeah. And I would say they all have a direct influence in who you are right now. I can see each one of those. Uh, it's, it's really, really neat. I love how you answered that question. And so how did you navigate through school and studies and end up uh, with the Air Force? So first and foremost, I never wanted to go into the military. Um, <laughs> let's just put that out there. Not in a bad way. It's just my, and, and I think this is something that I need to say and more people need to be aware of because my uncle, uh, he loved the Corps. He was a Marine, like I said, in Vietnam. And he uh, suffered from PTSD. And at the time they didn't have, you know, like we were not calling it PTSD, especially when he came home and the rest of the men who came home from Nam, they were not calling it PTSD, but they had this and they suffered uh, tremendously. And I'm grateful for now. And we're crossing those bridges and getting people help. And, and one of my hopes, honestly, is to open up a center or work with someone to name something after him eventually. But I did not want to go into the military because I saw how he struggled. But it's the complexity, too. He still loved the Corps and he still had his friends from, from the Corps. And I, I went to VA hospitals with him and I gained such great respect for veterans because of this. So you, just, you see that duality and you see that it is a sacrifice. So I did gain a love of it at the same time that I didn't know. And pretty much when I was around nine years old, he called it too. He said, you would be great in the military. And I looked at him and I said, uh-uh, <laughs> because he would wake us up early whenever I went to his house. And, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing this. But also it was unacceptable to not be excellent in my home. So I didn't, my mom was very, very serious about my education. I started reading actually at three. My mom read to me a lot. We, I read a lot, a lot. And one of the things I wish I was doing right now was reading more, but just time-wise and studying to fly. It, it, you know, I can't like read as much for leisure as I would like to, but it was something very serious. Even with my faith and my grandmother um, being a pastor, she we read the Bible a lot and it's, it's reading. It's a, also a historical text. So that was a big involvement of my life. So I 
in school, I didn't see the military, but I studied a lot. I loved history. I've always loved history and English. Those were my favorite two subjects in school. And then I got to college and I was bored. I was working full time. I was going to school full time. And of course, you know, at 19, you have a salary paying job. You're like, oh, this is pretty cool. I don't have really any responsibilities, right? But I was so bored. And I said, this is not life. (laughs) There has to be so much more to what I'm doing. And I wanted to do something larger than myself. The one thing I did like about the job I had is that I could help people. So I worked in financial aid at the time. And I always liked when I did help students, like, the things that people didn't want to do, I naturally just did it. No one answers the phone when I call this office. So I would get up from my desk. I'd say, hold on. And I'd walk to the office and go talk to the person directly and say, this student is trying to call you. They need this done. Like what's going on? I just, I said, there has to be more. I want to help people in a larger way. And I spoke with my uncle about it a little bit. And I spoke with my mom and I just, this is when Google first started being a thing. Remember when Google didn't exist? We right. Remember when we actually had to talk to people to get information and look in books? Yeah. I know. It's like Google didn't exist, but this is when it became like one of the larger, it was in the process of becoming one of the larger search engines. And I Googled recruiters for the military and I initially looked at the army and I'm so grateful that, yes, the Air, I will just say the Air Force was for me. If there's an army recruiter, there has to be an Air Force. And I, I Googled and this, the rest is history. I met my recruiter and who I'm still friends with to this day. He's a cool dude, Sergeant Jackson. Shout out wherever you are. And yeah, we started that journey and I ended up in the Air Force at 20. Uh Uh-huh. And what were your goals when you walked in the door? One of the bigger goals outside of serving the country was deaf. Because when I enlisted, honestly, we were in the crux of the war. Remember, it was it was 2005, Iraqi, you know, daughter freedom, everything is going on. And honestly, my grandmother was really scared because once again, you know, my uncle came back from Nam and she's like, oh my gosh, my granddaughter's leaving. She, she, she actually stopped talking to me for a while because she didn't want me to go. She gave me the silent treatment? Yes, she did. Oh my gosh, it was so horrible. <laughs> I said, why would you do this to me? I, I, I had to go. Like, I had to do it. When I got there and, and why I left, I wanted to... Part of it was see what life was like without my parents. I've always, I had always been just with them. And I said, I want to see something else. And I, when we chose jobs, Sergeant Jackson and I, and of course I spoke to my mother as well. I wanted to do something I would not be doing if I was at home. So that included office work, things like that. So I'm like, if I'm going to go for it, I'm going to go for the gusto. And because I had scored well, it opened up different jobs to me, hence me becoming an aircraft electrical and environmental systems specialist. Okay, so say that again, the job. Aircraft electrical and environmental systems specialist. (laughs) AKA? Aircraft electrician. (laughs) So that, it funneled you into that job, basically, going through. And how much school did you do to get there? So basically, I was two and a half years into my bachelor's degree when I cut out and went into the military. And when you go through training, everyone has to go through basic training, basic military training in Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, in San Antonio, Texas. And I was there 
for what was supposed to be only six and a half weeks. I ended up being there for six months and due to my own life story. But technical training is specifically for E and E for about four and a half months. What did that work mean to you? I know better about it now, if that makes any sense, than I did at the time. But for me, it was a challenge. It was important. I did, of course, notice my recruiters told me not a lot of women, not a lot of Black women did what I I was going to do. Like any? Not a lot at all. (laughs) He was like, very, very few. He said, you will probably be like one of the few women there, uh, one of the few Black women there. And he was 100% right. I was the only female in my class. I was the only Black female in my class. And because one of the students ended up getting washed back, I ended up being the only Black person in my class. There were definite times when I felt that it was a lot because of where I come from. I said that I could do it. Like, I knew I could do it. It it wasn't easy, but my faith and just what I've been taught I know firsthand because of my my parents what perseverance looks like. And so ultimately when things like that come into my life where I am the only in a class or when I'm the only in an atmosphere and I walk into it, I know I still can. Mm -hmm. Do you feel yourself sort of putting on a hat and sort of digging in, like muster? I don't know. I sort of imagine like there's this moment where you're like, this is hard. and you're like, okay, I need to grab this coat from the closet and go into the room, right? Or whatever, you know, whatever the metaphor is. But I, as you're speaking of it, I, I imagine it's sort of like, okay, I know how to do this, right? I know how to do the hard thing and to be in this uncomfortable sometimes situation and you sort of draw on your upbringing and those lessons. Yeah, you have to because I, I told someone about, somewhat, somewhat about this experience as far as going through technical training and being the only female in my class and being the only Black person in my class once things transition. And there were definitely days because you are you don't feel like you have anybody that understands you. So you do talk to them, but it's, on a, it's a completely different type of conversation. And you do pick and choose your words because you want to make sure you're safe. And so it's, there are so many, like men do interact with each other differently whether people like to admit it or not. And so where I could say the same exact thing, there of course have been situations where I've literally had the same exact idea and I say it first. And then it's like, I said nothing. One of your male counterparts says the same exact thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And you're sitting within yourself like, I just said this. It is frustrating. It's annoying because they minimize Sometimes without knowing and sometimes purposely, your existence. But you have to know within yourself that you are more than enough and that your existence doesn't, your existence isn't mattered by what they feel and think or know or not know. You know who you are. And so for me, that was something I had to continually remind myself throughout all of my careers. And I didn't necessarily know I would end up in careers that were very male dominated because also I come from a very matriarchal family. My world is very matriarchal. My family, even though my grandmother had all these children, the nine that's like made it to adulthood, seven are women, two are men. 
And I was raised by my mother and my grandmother, you know? So I, my, I have a lot of aunts, my cousins, most of them are women. My community, even growing up in church, especially within the black community, the backbone of the church is women, period. The pastors may have been men or whatever, but in that world, women run it. You could be the pastor guy or up there on the pulpit, but I guarantee you, if sister so-and-so on the front pew don't like something, that's what's going to change. So when I walked into these, to these rooms, I walked in with the mindset of women being exceptionally strong. And you weren't going to let that room change that definition or that part of your identity. No, absolutely not. Um, I was fortunate to have that upbringing. It definitely has served me exceptionally well in these career fields. Of course, I'm younger. I'm 20. I don't know myself as much. I know certain things about myself. I'm still discovering. So of course, I have moments of nervousness and not being sure. And and can I do this? Of course, you have those moments. I would be lying if I said I did. However, because my foundation was rooted and grounded in my faith and in women who were audacious, at the end of the day, when I went back into my room and probably cried a little bit, I remembered who I am. You know, that was that was going to be my my next question is how did you fill your bucket? That like, oh my gosh, I'm very close. My grandmother was my best friend growing up. Her and my mom, but like I was exceptionally close with my grandmother growing up. And I was always around her road trips to South Carolina, going to the doctor, going to church and Like I always, my grandmother was a very, very faith-built, driven, prayerful woman. And she spent a lot of time breeding into me things that are tools that I never knew I would use right now at this point in time in my life. And the reason why I am as, even as a chaplain, and I know we haven't really hit that road yet, but even as a chaplain, as that I'm able to stand up in front of a thousand people and give an invocation without skipping a beat is because when I was a little girl, she would say in front of a church, speak in front of these 200 people, like stand on that stepladder and be bold in the Lord. And that's what she would say to me. And I would get up on my little kulaks. Remember kulaks? Oh my gosh. I have a great picture in my mind about you standing up there. I know in front of, that's the first time. That was my first time of giving a message. And about nine years old was in front of about 200 and something people on a little step ladder in order to see over the podium because my grandmother encouraged me to do so. This is how I filled my bucket in those moments, remembering that, staying in, uh, she was alive at the time, so calling her, calling my mom, and just having these conversations with them when I could. I couldn't call them all the time because we were in restriction, but when I could, I, I did. And just those were the things that honestly filled my bucket. Mm-hmm. And you were, so you were in that position for about 10 years. And then I think this is a great so- segue to talk about your transition to being a chaplain and your crossover to theology. So how did that happen? Was that a gradual transition or was that a uh, 90 degree turn? How did you transition from being electrical, okay, an aircraft electrical and environmental systems specialist to a chaplain? <laughs> So, I mean, the road was crazy. I think that when we just look at the job, it's it's like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? It's outlandish. But 
if you just see me as a person, my faith is ingrained in everything I do. So the on the surface level, the job portion, yes, that was a crazy transition because one, I'm not just going from aircraft electrician to chaplain. I'm also going from enlisted to officer. And that's a big transition in the military uh, within itself because you're changing the dynamic of your role. And as an officer, your responsibilities are different. Your purview is different. And how you lead is slightly different because of your responsibilities. But as the core of who you are as a person, it should be the same. It's a privilege to be an officer. Majority of the Air Force is enlisted. So there's a very small percentage, the core, that officers. And not only that, now, excuse me, I'm still Black, right? So I'm also a Black woman who's an officer. Only about 6% of African-Americans are officers in the entire Air Force. And then I go into the Chapel Corps, which is also very male-dominated, right? And like I said, that didn't even hit my mind because in church, like I said, nothing but women. My grandmother, for crying out loud, was a pastor. You know, she was my pastor for a majority of my life at that time. And so when I'm making this transition and I'm thinking about it, first and foremost, it was already presented to me about 10 years prior to me doing it. And that's something I can, especially when you think about like even your podcast, like When Women Fly, sometimes things are planted in us, but they don't grow and become evident until later. And so you are building up all of these things inside of you that will manifest five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years later. And honestly, I, it was planted into me about at 20 in basic training that I would be a chaplain one day, but it just wouldn't show up until 2015 that I would actually start hitting that road. When I finally, when it finally clicked that it was time, I was, I'm a reservist. So, you know, reserves, they have civilian jobs and then they're also in the military. So I was at my civilian job where I did yacht insurance. I don't even know. I will take a little caveat to say this to people who know they're entrepreneurs. Stop trying to have regular jobs. (laughs) I love the variety of advice that I'm getting from this conversation. And it's all just so exactly sort of like these arrows are being shot out to me and to the world. And um, you you just have such wisdom. I'm just really enjoying the conversation. Thank you. I'm super blessed. Trust me. But look, I had to live it to, to be able to share. I was at a job and, you know, grateful, you know, to be able to provide and everything. I made that decision because I was finishing college and I said, okay, let me get this job. But I was at this at this job. I won't say, you know, the company or anything. I'll just say I did yacht insurance of all things. So I'm in this job and I'm speaking to a coworker of mine on a Monday after returning from a vacation, uh, like just a quick weekend trip to go see my best friend. And I'm like, I'm really getting this urge to finally be a chaplain, right? I, but I didn't want to go to grad school. That's really what was stopping me because I didn't feel like doing homework. I know that sounds horrible. And I said, how am I going to be a chaplain, run my business? Because I wanted to own my own greeting car company, which I do and have been doing for the last about nine years. And I said to myself, I want to do these things, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. Go to school and keep this job. Where's the time going to come from? Kid you not, 10 minutes later, I got fired. Right before that time period, they had laid off some of the people. It was just a lot going on. And 
while the like I was being fired, I was angry initially, but then literally I had an epiphany <laughs> in that moment. And I said to myself, the, like the conversation hit my head that I just had with my coworker. And I said, I hear you, God, cool. And I smiled and I looked at the gentleman whose name I do not remember whatsoever. I don't even remember what he, he looks like at this point. And I said, are you finished? He was like, what do you mean? I said, I don't work here anymore. Like, because at that time, I no longer felt like I had to engage in this conversation. Uh-huh. He had delivered his message and, and you were done. Yeah, I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, bye. Like, and I remember like cleaning out my desk and everything. And I was so happy and nervous at the same time, right? And nervous and scared. I didn't know what was going on for three days. I ran, like literally physically. I just got up and worked out. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I started my greeting card business and I also applied to grad school to go to seminary. And this is how the road to chaplain began. Yeah. You, you asked for the time and you were given the time. Yeah. Did you ever doubt yourself? Not myself, but if I had the patience to <laughs> wait it out, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And did others doubt you? I don't think they had doubted my, they had, doubt, had doubted my ability. I think when things take what someone feels is too long, they are not as encouraging. Because if you think something is only just like my my flying, I was supposed to be done with my PPL last year, May, and then we had a whole pandemic, right? So the cheers are not as loud that whole year, right? If you think someone's going to be done in like a year and a half, two years, but it takes three and a half years. Uh-huh. So then there's some stories that start to form, filling in the imagination of why that is taking long, which aren't necessarily supportive. I will say that my circle was not like that. You have some time, and, and this is something people learn as they go for different things. Sometimes people are not where you are. And whenever you have a vision or a dream, you have to know that it belongs to you, not to the people around you. So while they may feel it's taken too long, you at the same time can understand that it's necessary because there are things that you're developing. There are things that you're learning. While the three and a half years was a long time, there are occurrences and instances that I am grateful that have happened prior to me becoming a chaplain, because I don't think I would have been the same type of chaplain I am today without. As I've gotten older, I have learned to appreciate time in a completely different way. And it's not always the fastest road that is the most desirable. And that's the thing, especially now, everything is so instant and we get used to it. And I mean, I'm from Brooklyn, ultimately New York, and everything's fast in New York. You know what I mean? I'm so used to, I can go out. In the DNA of your environment. Yeah. Exactly. I can go, if I want something right now, I could go to a corner store, right? I can go here, I can go there and I can get it. And even within the midst of the pandemic, that's changing the city a lot. And even when you have your goals, we want it now. But oh my gosh, the beauty of what develops in you when you wait. Take the time. Yeah. What's your favorite part about that job? There's so many parts. You don't have to have one favorite. I said No, I know. I mean, I love engaging with my airmen. I love taking care of my airmen. I really, really, really do. It's a lot. It's overwhelming sometimes. But what I love most is being grace 
like walking visible grace, like walking safe place. They know they can come into my office, my office and really say anything and really be in whatever state they're going to be in. And they don't have to be anything else but that. I love that I get to say, stop apologizing for crying. Don't be mad about the fact that you're upset. You have every right to be. I love that. It's so amazing because people need it. When you think about military, it's so many people have all different types of thoughts about the military. But I will say this after being in for 15, going on 16 years, these are humans that sacrifice a lot. And I'm not just talking about in death, because of course, that ultimate sacrifice, none of us can ever repay. And um, honoring our fallen will always be one of the greatest things I will ever get to do. But the daily life sacrifice of things like even I've experienced being on duty when my grandmother died or being on duty when my uncle died, all of it, like people missing births and birthdays and, and first steps and all these things that everyday sacrifice I see these men and women make and then come and make a mission go and be the heartbeat of a mission that affects everyone globally without even us really thinking about it or seeing it. Uh, so being a safe place for them, that's my favorite part. Yeah, being warmth and support and sort of helping the underbelly of of that really intense lifestyle. And you're making me reflect that I, I don't think that the general public is in tune enough with what you're saying. They do it. I mean, one day, obviously, past this conversation, you could come and visit me one day. I would love for you to. I love my unit. But it's it's a very, walking into chaplaincy is a decision that I definitely just did not take lightly. It was a big, like you said, it's a big transition. I mean, all of our components matter within the Air Force. We all make things go. But knowing that I literally will touch every job component, that that's the biggest difference too from being an aircraft electrician, I'm with my shop. But as a chaplain, whether you're ops, whether you're mechanic, whether you work in medical, no matter where you are, whether you're a firefighter, I, I talk to you. Mm-hmm. And in these environments, again, you're you're still black and you're still a woman. Are you? How do you hold on to that? And is that ever tested? Or at that point, is it? You're always black. You're always a woman. I mean, right? And you're in these environments that are neither nor. Really, I feel like maybe I already asked this, but I just have to ask again. Like, yeah, like how and like, and then what does that bring up in you? I mean, you're so incredibly positive. I am a super positive person in general. I just choose to be happy. I just choose it. You have to choose it because life is heavy. Like, life is a responsibility. Life is not easy often. And uh, more so my, I'm joyous than happy. Happy to me is more, excuse me, of a fleeting emotion. Um, it comes, it goes, but joy is something that's enduring. And so for me, I choose to be joyous. As far as taking up space as a Black woman, as a Black human, it is not seen also like in the history of this nation, of course, as the most favorable thing, but God in his infinite wisdom sort of create me in this body, in this space, and in this time. And who am I to say that it's not awesome? So, you know what I mean? Like, I, like, I was created just as anybody else. So I'm awesome too. 
even when I walk into spaces with me and yeah, I get the look sometime. I mean, it's becoming more common, which I'm super grateful of, grateful for. But even to know that I am literally the second Black woman to be a chaplain in my wing, that's it. Number two, only one other woman before me was a chaplain in my entire wing. That's it. The dismantling stereotypes, right? That is happening as we speak. We're sort of in motion right now, and you're on the leading edge, I would say, of that. But how do you see the challenges of that moving forward? Do you feel like the needle's shifting? Yes and no. Yes, because we, because because when we first spoke, you said something, new media, right? We're talking about new media, social media, right? People see us more. That's the biggest difference. That was the shift in the civil rights movement, TV. People literally seeing what it looks like to be treated at a disproportionately different, <laughs> in a disproportionately different manner because you're Black. So on a same end, when someone meets me, that's what makes the difference. I remember being a younger airman and being about 22, 23 and seeing my first Black female chaplain, Chaplain Coles, who I kept in contact with, who drove from Philadelphia when I got my cross and did my oath ceremony. This is what matters. And so for me, I can't wait to do that for someone else. I love when my airmen see me. I love when I see a 20-year-old Megan. Yeah, and you're kind of sort of breaching on the what it takes to be this word that we've talked about before, influencer. And but but before talking about that, I just want to acknowledge what you what you said and I think that you are part of this change and this shift and it's it's just I'm so happy. That's not the right word. I'm so joyous. I'm so relieved and I'm so heartened that you are doing what you're doing. So you told me when we were, um, when we've spoken before, you shared with me something that I'd love for you to share now about how when you were younger, before you got into chaplaincy, you found yourself leading prayer with other women, I think at first. But tell, tell that because I think it's really indicative of First of all, how unassuming you are, and also just how this destiny clearly was, has been, like you were saying, has, was a seed that was sown quite long ago. And it is, you know, finding chaplaincy in the Air Force is, is where it's destined to be. But there were other places that you were, you were, you were really part of a warm, creating a warm environment. Oh, thank you. Honestly, I get that from my grandmother. Uh, even though she was super tough on me, she loved, like feeding and gathering people. So uh, when I was in basic training, when I first, first got there, like any other person that's ever been through any level of basic training boot camp, <laughs> I asked myself the question, what did I do to myself? <laughs> what am I doing here after my first day? <laughs> Pure crazy, you know, being yelled at, getting off the bus. You're like, dude, what did I do to myself? I really didn't. Waking me up at 4.30 in the morning, all types of stuff. But anyway. <laughs> After our first, I think it was night or two nights, I was finally like leveled out a little bit. And I was like, okay, let me pray before I go to bed. And I was sitting on the edge of the bed in the back of the bay. And it was a bunk bed. And I was on the bottom. I had the unction to pray, but I'm, I said to myself, let me, the unction was get on your knees and pray. 
And I said, the floor is cold. I'm having all these excuses. I said, but let me just do it. So I got on my knees and I prayed and I was by myself and not paying any attention to anybody else. Went to bed. The next night I went to do the same thing. One of my flight mates said, can I pray with you? I looked at her and I said, sure, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to turn out anybody praying with me. It kind of it like quickly connected that had I not gotten on my knees and prayed, would not have known I was praying. So her and I stood together, we held hands and we prayed. And then next thing you know, people just started like other, the other young women in our flight started asking, can they join us in prayer? And by the end of the first week, pretty much the whole flight was praying together. And just, it was just a safe space for us to talk and say needs and desires and throw our family's names out in the atmosphere. And it was, it was so beautiful. And I'll never forget that. And it just stayed with me through basic training. The nickname was Rev. And it just continually grew as I was there, no matter where I was, that that was a thing, Bible study, prayer, young women sitting with me talking about things they had never told other people. It's uh, the moment that you chose to be vulnerable seemed to then have this sort of cascading effect, which I think is such a transferable story that we can use and draw from and just remember that, you know, we are all soft and squishy on the inside. Yeah, we are. I mean, when you give yourself permission to shine, it gives other people permission to do the same. And the same with vulnerability. It's like, when you show someone that you have that inside of you, it gives them permission to let go of things they've probably been holding on to and were just needing a space to do it. Right. Yeah. So let's segue to Women Rock Wings. Because I feel like uh, so far I could probably just finish this conversation and it would be incredible. But there's this whole other component, which is actually aviation and you're sort of accidentally, you started this social and network platform. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I'll let you fill in the blanks. Called Women Rock Wings. And then I'm just gonna hand it over to you because it's sort of a creation that I I don't really have the words for, but it's you're clearly an influencer, whether you want to admit it or not. And I'd love for you to just talk about the origin of it, how it came about and kind of what you're doing. Wow. So you described it in the best way possible. It was totally an accident. Um, <laughs> beautiful one, though. And the reason why we get to meet and encounter one another. I, during the pandemic, before, well, pro- before the pandemic, when I began my flight training, we had a great, great study hall uh, in school. I really enjoyed it. And people in different levels of ratings, we would be in the same study hall. We're studying together. And of course, you know, you find your little tribe. And, and so, a few women that were in the program, we became like friends. We became close. We became supportive of one another. And here we are. We're always like encouraging people. Actually, one of them is in the Coast Guard, which is so cool. She's a Coastie. And then, you know, just everyone wants to go into the airport. It was just so many. Someone wants to fly corporate. And so we're all studying together. And of course, the pandemic had. And then now everybody's spaced out. People want to see each other, but they don't know what's going on. And, you know, now we're finishing ground online. And of course we've been grounded, so we're not flying. And I was at the very, very beginning of flight training. Pretty much. I was the day before my solos when I was grounded. Wait, can I ask you one thing? Why did you want to learn how to fly? Oh, wow. (laughs) Real quick, right? She's like, why do you want to fly? 
like you fix the plane, you take a break, you become a chaplain, and now magically you fly. Because I'm a chaplain, I actually met one of my newer mentors now. He, I love him so much, uh, Major C.J. Charlton. He's a pilot for, he's an aircraft commander for the Guard, flies 130s, and then he also flies for United. And I met him while I was on some days at Dover in this program called Aviation Character Education. And I was, I met something you don't get to see talking about being black and all these wonderful things, black pilots currently serving black pilots. And I got to walk around with them and walk around with these young people. They were teaching to fly. And I didn't even think about it for myself. I was just there to help (laughs) and have fun. And, And then he asked me the question, have you ever thought about flying? So that's how I started even thinking about flying. I'm actually attending his alma mater uh, for training. So that's how I even got into flying and, and even seeing it be a, a thing I wanted to do. I, somebody asked me had I always known and not really, like I thought about it in, in passing, but because I used to fix planes, but I had never seen any black pilots even while I was fixing planes outside of the Tuskegee Airmen. You know, representation does matter, but it, you know, as I got older, it wasn't something I was going to do. You know, I'm older now, per se. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, there's no way. But he asked me, he said, Have you ever thought about flying? And I was like, oh. And then I went on my discovery flight and I'm like, I totally have to do this. I have to do it. It became a thing I had to do. So, I was talking to uh, Liz Booker from Literary Aviatrix and she's like, what would you call it? And I said, an awakened passion, an awakened passion for sure. And and I'm grateful for it every day. And I'm grateful for the privilege. I think even before you talk about women rock wings, the fact that we can fly, like, I think people take that for granted is not something you do. Yeah. And every single time it is incredible and it is otherworldly and there is some connection with and and, this, and I and I wondered this and I wondered if you were going to answer the question with something that did bridge or rub shoulders which with your spirituality because because there is something right that you're you are in you have to right I have to you have to know oh my gosh there's so many things come into flying and just the history of the creation, I mean, like yesterday, Perseverance just landed on Mars for crying out loud, right? And which is so flipping cool. Forget all these big words. Like, it's so cool. Like, you fly. And like you said, spiritually, like, you, and you have to have a level of confidence within yourself to say that you can do this thing that is so, like, out of this world. Yeah, I find that this is something that I am very, in falling short and and I've been trying to find words and language to talk about this feeling of being, you know, pilot in command. That's kind of the dumb way to say it, right? But but what is it that, you know, when you're flying and when you're, you know, flying solo and it's it's most clear when you're first time solo. But even so, you know, you are in the air in this little capsule. You are you need to land your plane, right? And then you need to have this sort of interim period where you're, you know, somehow understanding the forces of flight. But there is something just incredibly extraterrestrial about it. Yeah. So you and I need to work on language to We will. I mean, when I remember, I don't know if you remember when I was doing the interviews for Aviatrix, I used to I was asking people how do they feel? You know, when I fly, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you answer that? I am boundless. And Megan is smiling cheek to cheek when she says that, just so you know. 
Okay, so sorry for that little injection, that little, uh, I need to do a little intervention because women rock wings. You decide you want to learn how to fly. And to do that, you need to do a lot of ground school. And so you're studying and you are studying with other women. And then COVID hits and you're like, okay, how can we take this virtual like everything else in the world? And so that is the birth of women rock wings. Okay, you take it from here. So I originally made just like made some t-shirts from our friends just to encourage them and thank them honestly for encouraging me to keep flying through through the pandemic because you know of course you have all types of thoughts is this for me should I be doing this like the whole world literally stopped <laughs> maybe I should stop doing this we personalize I mean it happened to everyone and how we personalize it internally is up to each individual right so, and, and you have, everybody had something going on in their lives, you know, whether it stopped, it slowed it down, all types of things happened. Here I am, like, should I be flying? And I had to finish ground school and, and you know, we're getting, we're texting each other, like I said, and all these things. And I, I'm sitting here saying, you rock, you're great, you're awesome. And, and all these different things, which is like common language for me. And I just decided to put it together. Somehow the words came together. My fiance actually said, you should kind of like get a logo or something, see the dot com, get Instagram just for fun. And I was like, he was like, you never know what it'll turn into. He's that kind of person. He's more business minded than I am. And that's him. He's like, because it sounds cool. So as far as like cementing that part, that like really was on him. But I just I didn't do anything with the page. Like I started the page like right when that happened and I didn't do anything with Instagram or whatever. I was just like, okay, whatever. I made the shirts. I gave them to my friends and I have five more left. And so it was Give Back Tuesday. And really in my spirit, like, I know everybody looks at faith differently. To me, this is how I feel. I was like, God told me to bless some people with some shirts. And so I was like, all right, cool. And I literally just said, hey, (laughs) tag me. The first five people to tag me in your favorite picket I'm flying, I'm going to send out these shirts. And that's what I did. And so they tagged me and I was like, oh, this is super cool. I'm like, oh crap, no one knows what I look like because I never posted anything about myself on this page. Actually, a lot of my friends and family at the time still did not know I was flying. I was holding this thing so personal. Like, it was like my baby. My mother knew, my fiance knew, and like the people I was flying with, but like friends and family and things like that, a lot of them did not even know. Because you didn't want to be affected by the doubters or? Yes and no, because... I'm a firm believer in if you tell your dreams to small-minded people, you know what I mean? You can start to adopt their doubt, their fears. And I'm not saying all of my friends and family like that. I was, but I was, it was just so private to me. It was so special. It was something so different. I just, I didn't want to tell anybody really, even though I was super excited, but I was protecting it. In this moment, it just, I had to share this. So I said, okay, I, I wanted these women to feel safe about who who they were sending their address to. So I was like, let me introduce myself. And so I made a quick video to just say who I was and say, hey, this is who's going to be mailing you the shirts. This is what the shirt looks like. I did not expect the overwhelming amount of feedback I received. It was just beautiful. I was like, oh my gosh, all these women are flying, really? This is so cool, you know? And then I just began engaging with people and and talking to people more and more. And literally, as we stand today, I think that was around December last year, mid-December. 2020. 
Yes, 20, I know. So a couple, like three, two months ago. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. This happened really fast. So, so we were about a hundred-ish followers, like 90 something, hundred followers. We are like approaching a thousand right now. We're like at 900. I know, I did not know this would happen any, like, I did not, no one could have paid me any amount of money to see this be a thing, to see other women really affirming. Because to me, Women Rock Wings is is a global mindset. It is an affirmation of the awesomeness that resides within inside of you. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't just do it, I rock it. And I, you know, I do it well, it's confidence. I really wish and desire for every woman, every girl that ever touches ground on this planet that they need to know that about themselves. And what has come of the community? Oh man, it's so exciting. So right now we're in the midst of our first headset giveaway and we partnered with Dowcom Tech to do that. And they definitely are a company that support women in, in aviation. So I'm excited about that. We've been working with uh, Women With Wings, um, going to Women in Aviation Conference as well. But more so for me, it's about studying too. So right now we're in the process of developing group studying somehow. So I'm excited. At first I was going to push. I was trying, because you know, when you start getting all this stuff happening, you kind of push. But I would encourage people to make sure you're doing it well. Don't let crowds move you. And things you shouldn't be moved in. Stay true to your core purpose. Exactly. So it's like, cool, but I'm like, and I wanted to push it because I'm so excited. But I, I really said no. When when the study and atmosphere comes out, I want it to be done exceptionally well. And of course, it's going to be developing over time. But also just, we're also connecting young women with each other, other resources. Because for me, it's not about me. It's It's really about, all of us. It's like, I want you to know who has scholarships. I want you to know who has funding and grants. I want you to know, okay, I can go to, you know, the difference between a 60, a part 61, a part 141. I want you to know, you know, say, hey, maybe this is the best way for me to pay for training or go about my training. Do I work these amount of hours? What's the route for this airline, this this cargo corporate, you know what I mean? Military. What are the routes for me? Where do I fit in this world? Am I going to be an airport planner or a manager? You know what I mean? Like, am I going to be on the executive board of UPS? This is what I want the community to grow into. It's cool. It's fun. I mean, like I said, the attention is is really cool. I, I didn't expect it. But with that attention, this is what I want people to see coming from us. And not only do I want them to see that, I want them to model it. That's why it's important for me to be seen. Because I all these other women to be seen, period. If it took me showing my face for other women to be seen, cool. That's what I care about. Because when we look five years from now, and I know you probably lead in this direction, right? When we look at us five years from now, just like me in the military, like I said, Chaplain Cole saw me. At, I saw her at 23 years old. And at 30, let me see, 33-ish, she put a cross on my uniform. She put a cross on my uniform just like the one she wore. And so when I look at Women Rock Wings and I'm about to finally finish my PPL, I want someone to look at me five years from now and said they looked at our page, they met with someone and that they're in aviation, whatever component it may be. That's what I want to see. 
And you're clearly amplifying voices through that platform as well. And, and tell, me, tell me about some of the motivation behind, behind that, because I think there's a lot of diversity and inclusion involved in your motivation behind that. Yeah. So listen, like, I, I think it's awesome that it folds into like, look, it's beautiful how everything connects, right? Like I said, I'm a prior maintainer. And so I highlighted uh, a maintainer just a few days ago, and it's still one of our most like posts. I, I want every, when I say Women Rock Wings, it's not just pilot. It's every facet of aviation you could ever think of. You know what I mean? Just like we talked about perseverance, we um, I just highlighted Dr. Camille uh, Allen today, and she's a rocket designer. Oh my gosh, we share so much of this passion for highlighting and giving platforms for women's voices and stories. You know, and so many of these women, and I'm going to include you in this bunch, you're just doing your thing and you're so unassuming and yet you're, what you are doing has so much power to it. What you're doing has power. Look what you're doing. You're taking our stories and you're raising their platforms. You're letting us hear each other, not just like other people hearing us, but we're hearing each other too. And it's so important for us to engage with one another. That's another thing. Our platforms are so important to engage with one another because we have been fed a lot of times, not even by women, but just the male dominant society, not the, not our advocate males, but those who feed into their egos and who are not, who are not strong enough to be vulnerable. We are fed that we don't like each other, that we can't work together, that we can't support each other. When it's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth, you're telling me that you always tell women we're nurturing, we're kind, we're all of these things, but we can't be these things to one another and we can't uplift one another. That makes absolutely no sense. This is proving it. Megan, would you consider yourself intrinsically or externally motivated? I would definitely say intrinsically motivated and externally encouraged. I think that. Because of my foundation, I know how to get up and say I'm going to do something. But even though I'm intrinsically motivated, ultimately what really drives and gets things done is discipline. The discipline and saying, because being motivated kind of just is, is a spark, which is super cool. Like we can get up, you can, let's get out of bed, let's go. But ultimately the discipline to know that it will take time and the patience that you need to endure the time that it will take are the things that really get things going for me and, and make helps me accomplish whatever it is I need to. So I think that for many people, the airplane becomes a metaphor for liberation and actually flying or learning to fly and pilot equates to being the operator of that liberation sometimes. And we touched on this a little bit before, but sometimes people experience a lot of anxiety up in the air. And I would say, I don't know anyone who flies who doesn't have some fear that is the flip side of the courage that it takes to get off the ground. So where do you fall on this spectrum? So when I was younger, I was actually kind of scared of flying. And it wasn't actually until I learned how to fix planes that I became less afraid of them because I understood the sounds the plane made and all these things. That I know. Yeah, it was weird. Like understanding how it worked made it better for me. but. I think when we talk, I have wrote this down specifically when we talk about pilots and over, like overcoming fear. And like, I think you, before you had mentioned Brene Brown, the concept of fear and courage, right? 
being two sides of the same coin. She said that they're not mutually exclusive. And I, I would agree because you do a lot of things afraid. And if you didn't do them afraid, you probably wouldn't do them at all. I agree that it's a uh, protection because when you do get fearful or, or anything, you become cautious. It's really because you want to protect yourself. It's not because you're, you're not courageous. It's okay. What is this thing that's happening? It's not normal maybe, but honestly, when you fly and when I fly, I do it afraid. Like if I'm doing this, like if I'm performing a stall, which is a maneuver where you, where the, you know, where the wind is no longer attached to the wing is, which is really what causes the stall and you pitch up, you're like, oh my God, the plane gonna fall out the sky, even though all, your, all these mechanisms, right? You're nervous because you know that the wing, the wind, excuse me, needs to attach to the wing. However, you're courageous because you've practiced, you've read, and you have your abilities and your skill. So you're doing it at the same time. So for me, I, I respect that. If anything, I do crap afraid. You know what I mean? Like, because you never do it. There's so many things on the other side of fear. Right. You know, I think that's, it's such a, you're, you got it right on. You know, I think that when we talk about not having fear or over, even overcoming fear sometimes, it's nearly not re- necessarily the right way to think about it because it's more like just holding it, holding it, acknowledging it, and then working on that courage side. I feel like there were decades of my life where all I wanted to do is not have fear. Right. And then when, when fear would, would show up, I'd be like, oh, either shouldn't do it or, you know, I'm a wimp or whatever. And I just feel like that's, I feel like I wish I learned that earlier at a younger age that, like, oh, yeah, hey, fear. Just like, yeah, how you doing? Right. Like, you're here. I know you're going to be here. Every time I, you know, do my pre flight planning, you know, fear is there and I find all these reasons why I shouldn't go. But then for, it's interesting for me when I get in the plane. And everything's good. I've done the pre-flight. I've made my plans. I'm like, I got this. And it's sure like I still like my, my palms are sweaty and, and all, all indications that my body is in a, uh, an elevated state are there. But my mindset isn't at the same place it was like an hour before when I was, you know, looking at the weather and all those other things. But the, like you said it perfectly before like we transitioned. It was like, even when I flew my solo, like you said, sweaty. I was completely sweaty when I landed, but I still did it. You know what I mean? Like you transition, like you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. It's happening. And then you're like, wait, I have to focus. And I think that's also something being PIC teaches you too, is you really have to compartmentalize in those moments about the importance. And we learn that even as we're learning emergency procedures, he's like, okay, engine out. What are you going to do? You either going to, like you will still be afraid because you're like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? This can not go the greatest way, but you can't lean on that. Like you said, it's here. Cool. Yeah, I'm afraid. However, I'm going to land this plane in that field afraid, period. And that's what it is. And that's okay. Hold it. Like you said, I love how you describe it. Hold it. It's okay to hold it and acknowledge it and give space to your feeling, acknowledging it makes it even easier to accomplish the task, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's so transferable to so many other things. You know, it's one of the neat things I think about talking about flying and learning to fly is, I, well, I had no idea how much of like life psychology was going to come out of learning how to fly. And just then, and so much of that is really that confronting fear part, really, right? Like, and feeling 
like you been believing in yourself. Like, and and I'm not saying this is you at all, but for myself, it was like, I had to like, in the end of the day, I had to believe in myself. It wasn't my instructor. Like he was ready to get out and let me solo, but I had to believe that I could do this thing, which was like, you still had to take off. Once he hops out, like once your instructor, whoever they are, hops out the plane, it's just you. And even then you don't have to take off. Like, like you said, it has to be inside of you that you really, all the things that mesh together with inside of you as a human to pull that yoke back when airspeed is alive, all those things come into that moment. It's so funny. Obviously, we love talking about this. But unfortunately, I think that we really need to, to wrap up, Megan. Do you have any additional message that you'd like to share with the podcast community or the world or women in aviation? Oh, yes. So for me, I, I made sure really to prep to write down this quote. And we just put it up in this one of my favorite quotes. And it says, every dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. That was by Harriet Tubman. I love it. And what does that mean to you? How do you translate that? Be kind to yourself always. And keep dreaming. Oh, where can we find out more about you and Women Rock Wings and your projects? Wow. So just follow us on Instagram at Women Rock Wings. Perfect. Keep it simple. Megan, it has been such an honor. I also want to thank you for your service and all that you have sacrificed for what you do. And and also thank you for this conversation, which hopefully wasn't a sacrifice, but there are always choices out there. I just look forward to continuing to work together on all sorts of things. Definitely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening to the When Women Fly podcast. My hope is that you leave this conversation with a sense of curiosity and empowerment to hold on to what is important and let go to what weighs you down. Stare fear in the face. If you like this episode of the When Women Fly podcast, be sure to share and subscribe and let us know what you think. We love feedback. Be brave, be bold, and fly. See you next time.